Welcome to the Marian Message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. Each week we'll hear God's Word explored by Dr. Henry M. Meadows Jr. as he preaches from the pulpit of Marian Baptist Church in Chatham, Virginia. We pray that this message will be a blessing and further your walk with God. Let's join him now. Hey guys, just a quick question. What happens when you don't get a word from heaven? When heaven seems to be silent and you're not feeling the moving and stirring of his hand. Well, in this week's sermon, I dealt with that subject. And I used when Jesus was silent in front of Pilate and Herod and the chief priest. So I want to encourage you to give a listen today and to hear what happens when heaven is silent. God bless you guys. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27. So I was in Brazil and just having a conversation with, with Rick Vi. And he made the comment and he said, Hank, have you ever thought about that passage of Scripture where it says Jesus answered them not? And have you ever thought about why he didn't answer them? And I said, well, no, not really. But that's a good question. And so I, I sort of pondered that throughout the rest of the week. And then when I got to, on the flight home, I was really just sort of diving in the Scripture and I began to just work and figure out what, what my thoughts were. And then I, I went on, and from there, that sparked me on to next week's sermon. So next week, I'm going to be dealing with it when heaven shouts. This week is when heaven is silent. Next week is when heaven shouts. And so I was like, man, you know, so most of the time, I don't, I'm not real far ahead like that as having them prepared and, and done, and, but God knows, doesn't He? God knew the week that was coming and that my attention would be focused sort of elsewhere for the most part. But then I, I was really yesterday afternoon and evening thinking about this and, and all week long and why was heaven silent? You ever been there? You ever been mad at somebody and then there's just silence on the other end? And, and in, the, in the meantime of that silence, you, you may even ask, why, why aren't you talking? And then the other party says something to this effect. All that needs to be said has been said. And I believe that's what we see there in Matthew. It's, and it's throughout. I'm going to read that passage in a minute. But as I was thinking about it, I was, I was drawn um, to a passage there um, in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, we read of the, the wedding in Cana. And in the middle of that, Mary, Jesus' earthly mother, says, Hey, go tell him. And he says this, Woman, what does this have to do with me? Here's what he said. My hour is not yet come. And then we find ourselves back in Matthew chapter 27. So just let that be in your mind that he said, my hour has not yet come. And we're going to deal with all of that. So stand at the reading, just one verse. Well, actually, I'm going to read a few more verses. And I'm going to start at verse 11. So to give you a little bit more of the context. Now, Jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Only time Jesus responds as we read in Matthew, you have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. 
Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Father, help us to understand that when heaven is silent, there is a plan being worked out. There is truth that is still being unfolded. You're still on the move. Help us to not be full of doubt and fear when heaven is silent. And so, God, we just love you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. You may be seated. So here he stands, and you get this sense that Pilate is going, why are you not fighting back against these charges? And, and others, why are you not saying anything? Why are you not going back? You've always been in conversation with us throughout your three years that you were really on the scene. You've always had an answer, whether you questioned us back on something or you gave us this. Why are you being so quiet, it seems like Pilate is saying. Because I believe as I look at Scripture... I believe there's two reasons, and I'm going to give a third reason that's personal for you and I. I believe he had no more to say because, number one, heaven had a plan for redemption. Heaven had a plan for redemption. And it had all been said and lived out. And I want us to look at a few of those truths. Number one, we have the promises in Scripture about this. We have the promises. Turn in your Bible to Psalm 130. This is one of the Psalms of Ascent. And they would sing this as they were traveling on there to, to Jerusalem for one of the three times they had to appear. And so when you get there, you'll notice this about Psalm 130. It begins with this, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Can I make this statement? If you are not a believer in Jesus, if you've never given your heart to God, if you've never been born again, as we talked about a few weeks ago, here's the truth. You may not know it, you're blind to it, but here's the truth. You are in darkness. And you're even hurting, and even sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of darkness as a believer, that we are in this valley and there's hardly any sunlight, and we're going, God, where are you? Here's the truth. And maybe God is silent in those times. But here's the truth. He's still the Redeemer. Look toward the end of this, and this is where we go. So what do you do in those moments? What do you do when you are desperate for a word from the Lord? What do you do in those moments when heaven is silent? O Israel, hope in the Lord. Did you catch that? He is hope for the hopeless. Hope for the hurting. And he goes on, here's why. For the Lord, for with the Lord, there is, present tense, steadfast love. It means love that's never ending. You see, so many of us, the only type of love that we know is contractual. Well, if you do this, then I'll do that for you. If you do this, then I'll respond this way. It's only if you do what I need and you meet my needs that I'll meet your needs. So many of us, even in our marriages, have that type of love. Aren't you glad that's not how it is with Jesus? He doesn't have contractual love. He has covenantal love. He's in covenant with us. So listen, the Bible says in Romans 5, um, 8, that God demonstrated His love towards us in that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. He wants to be in covenant with you, not contract with you. And that's why he writes those words there, steadfast love. It'll never, never end. And with Him is, present tense again, notice this, plentiful Redemption. 
So often in scriptures, it won't be 100%, but so often when he talks things about salvation and plentiful and the love, there's always an adjective that adds to it. There's not just redemption, there is plentiful redemption. It is full to overflowing redemption. That's why the blood still works today. Y'all all right? There's still, that's why we can sing there is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. It still works today. And then he goes on, and he will, it's a done deal, redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Preacher, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters who he is. He's a great sin forgiver when you come to him as Lord and Savior. He's the one that will give you forgiveness and mercy and grace. But not only there, go also to Isaiah chapter 47. Isaiah chapter 47. And by the way, just so you know, this is just Hank Meadows. I turned right to it. <laughs> Perfect turn. Do y'all ever do that? This is just a silliness of me. I love when I'm, I try to flip right to things and I flip right to it. Some of y'all going, dude, you're an idiot. Yes, I am. Small things in life, y'all. <laughs> a perfect turn. You did as well? No, I didn't have it bookmarked. No, you thought, <laughs> Daniel thought I had it bookmarked. No, I just flipped there, man. It was God's providence that I flipped right there. Let's be spiritual about it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Here's what Isaiah 47 says. Our Redeemer... Now, some of us, we read that and we just look at the grand scope. And I compare this to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. And so many of us will look at that and we'll say, well, He loves the world and that's why He came. No, but here's the truth. You make up part of the world. That's why a lot of times when I'm sharing my faith, I will take that verse and I'll say, for God so loved, and I'll take the person I'm talking to and put their name there. And for me, it will be, for God so loved Hank that He gave His only begotten Son that if Hank would ever come and believe in Him, then Hank could have everlasting life. You see that? You make it personal. And right here as He's talking, I believe the same thing can be applied. He is our Redeemer, but more importantly, He's my Redeemer. Are y'all alright? And He's your Redeemer. So you you need to look at that because it's so important. He wants to redeem you. And then he goes on, he says, the Lord of hosts is his name. And that is Yahweh Sabaoth. In other words, that means the Lord of the armies. Check that out. Another translation of Yahweh Sabaoth is this, the Lord who is the strongest of all. Y'all all right? All those fake idols... All that other thing that calls themselves Lord, they got nothing on Jesus Christ. Y'all all right? They got nothing on God because God is the God who is strongest of all. That's why it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter your name. It doesn't matter where you came from. If you come to Jesus, He'll wash away all your sins. He is our Redeemer. The Holy One of Israel. So that's the promises that he made. As he was standing there, I believe through his mind, maybe just maybe, because I will read Scripture with sanctified imagination, I believe in his mind he's going, I am the Redeemer. I have to do this. He could have called 10,000 angels. Are you all right? He could have done that, but he stood there. Because it hadn't been his hour. Now was his hour. So that was, a, but what about the plan? 
So that was the promises of what he would do. And they had all throughout the Old Testament. And then look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is what I love about God. He wasn't sitting there, and when Adam and Eve chose in their free will to go their own way, you know, God, the Trinity, didn't go, well, what are we going to do now? As soon as he came and as soon as he confronted them with their sin, as soon as he did that, in the cool of the evening, when he cried out, where are you? It wasn't to figure out where they were, like some people will say. It's so that they would figure out where they were themselves. He knows where you are. He said, where are you? And they began, they told him that they were naked. And he says, who told you that? And then right then, here's what he says in verse 13. 15, excuse me, 315. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's called the pre-evangelon. Soon as it occurred, there was already a plan because out in eternity past, y'all ready? He knew what man would choose. Some of you are going, well, how is that possible? Because he's God. See, some of you want God in a box. You want a God you can figure out. You want a God that you can say, well, He's going to act this way, this way, or this way. The only way God will act is never against His own character. He already knows. So He says, that's the plan. And then we see this strand of red woven throughout the Old Testament. We go to Genesis uh, chapter 22, and we see Abraham told to take his son up on top of Mount Moriah, and he's getting ready to kill his son and cut him up for a burnt offering. And Jehovah Jireh, y'all all right? The God who provides says, Abraham, stop. Now I know you love me more than you love your own son, and I will provide a lamb. Picture of Jesus. Exodus chapter 12, as we go through the Passover night, when he says, I want you guys to take you a lamb from your flock and it has to be perfect. And he wants you to keep it for 14 days and watch over it and make sure that it is perfect. But on that night that I tell you, you are to kill it and you're to put his blood on the doorposts and the lentils and that will mean that you are trusting in me and I'll pass over you. That's a picture of Jesus. Then we move on to Psalm 22 as he talks about the crucifixion, what would actually happen to him. And that was talked about before there was ever even an idea of crucifixion by the Phoenicians. He already described it fully. Then we go on to those prophecies of Isaiah about this coming king. I want you to turn to Isaiah 53. Then we get to Isaiah 53. And we read about this man that was there. And I want you to go at verse 4. The Bible says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. I'm going to stop for a minute. Remember what it just, I just read a little bit ago in Matthew? He answered them not. Isaiah 53 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shearers is silent. So he opened 
not his mouth. When he stood there silently, and he was tied to that post, and he never once fought back, and he took every stripe, he was silent before the shearers. He was fulfilling prophecy, for that was telling what had to happen. And then we could go on through the rest of the Old Testament. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it in the, the plan for a resurrection. But so often Jesus Himself would say that, listen, the Son of Man must go to Jerusalem and be killed. There's that red, that scarlet thread of redemption throughout the entire Old Testament and throughout that ministry of Jesus. And then when it came to that day, He was quiet so that it would be fulfilled. But then it brings us to the peace. Go to John chapter 6. You want to know why He could do it? John chapter 6 and verse 38 Because he was doing his father's will. He was silent to fulfill scripture. Do you remember in the garden when he said, God, if it be, if it be, would you take this cup from me? And then he said those wonderful, beautiful words for you and I. But not my will be done, but thy will be done. And the Lord seemingly spoke to him and strengthened him that this was the moment. This was the hour of darkness. The hour that he would be killed. But Why? John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. Everyone who looks, don't stand and tell me, that God doesn't desire that everybody come to Him. Every time He had a chance, He said, it's everyone that can come. Preacher, what are you saying? Here's what I'm saying. God loves everybody. He loves you enough that He died for you while you were still a yet a sinner. And He loves you until the moment you draw your last breath. And I think in that moment, it breaks the Father's heart when you ha someone has to be end up in a place called hell that was created for the de demon, devil and his demons. And He hates it when they go that way because they've not chosen Him. It breaks His heart. He stood there silently. Because this was the fulfillment of the plan of redemption. But let me give you number two. Not only was it the plan, heaven had a plan for redemption, heaven also had a plan for resurrection. Next Sunday, we're going to really get after this. When I preach, heaven will shout. But in the moment, here's what it says. It was the sign of, of Jonah. Uh, look, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Go to Luke chapter 11. 
You know, what the, the Jews, they were constantly doing this. And they were always saying, well, if you give us one more sign, if you give us one more sign, if you give us one more sign. Matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, you remember it was a Pharisee saying, listen, if you're the Son of God, come down off that cross and we'll believe in you. Just give us one more. Do you know what we ask today? Just give me a sign. Let Jesus come up and tell me what... Just give me another sign. He's given us His Word. What else does He need? He said in this passage in Jonah, I mean in Jonah, in Luke chapter 11, look at this, in verse 29, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign. That word sign there means an indication. But no sign will be given to you except the sign of Jonah. That's one of the things that the, uh, uh, the people that, are, that will take Scripture and twist it and turn it, that's the one, that's the Scripture they'll say, D- man, listen, a whale cannot swallow a human being. Well, number one, the Bible doesn't say it's a whale. It says it's a great fish that was prepared for that day. And by the way, if the Bible says it, a whale swallowed Jonah, the whale swallowed Jonah. You see, I want to get straight with something real quick. Here's how I can believe that to be true. Because I believe the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God. If you can accept that fact, all the rest is cake. Well, really, it's banana pudding. It's just that simple. If God said it, and I believe it, but there's overwhelming proof about it. I was having a conversation with a young man this week, uh, early on this week, and here's what this guy said. Well, you know, I just don't believe in, in creation and that story that you guys got. I don't believe that a God could do all that. And I said, so you believe in evolution, young man? He said, yes, I do. I said, well, let me, can I just make, uh, ask you one question? Sure. I said, who lit the match? What do you mean? I said, well, if there was nothing... Absolutely nothing. How did something come about? Here's what he said. Well, you see, out there in space... No, no, no. You said there was nothing. We, we, matter of fact, we agreed there was nothing. And I looked at him and I said, you see like right here in front of me, I said, you see this nothingness right here? What would make a spark occur? Well, he said, if you took a little electricity and, and he said, if you, or if you lit a match, I said, oh, so that's what happens now. But it just so happens then when there was absolutely nothing, some spark lit. And this dude just looked at me like I had four heads. I said, here's the truth. It takes more faith on your part to believe that mess than to believe that Jesus Christ said light be and light was. See, that's simple. There was nothing and there couldn't be something that came from nothing. Nothing only makes nothing. Jesus makes something. Y'all all right? Jesus is the one that said light be. So I have no problem with underbelieving that Jonah got swallowed by that great fish. And I got no problem to understand that Jesus Christ went into that tomb for three days and then pimp walked out. I mean, if you're going to come back from the dead, why not celebrate it? See, some of y'all, y'all only part of this sermon y'all going to hear. 
is that I just said, Jesus Christ, pimp walked out of the grave. That's going to be all over Facebook. My pastor said Jesus pimp walked out of the tomb. You can't prove he didn't. So <laughs> I'm just saying. Let me give you a few things. So here, let me talk to you about what he says. So look in, um, look in Matthew. I'm going to give you a bunch of scriptures. I'm not going through all because we don't have time um, because we got a bunch of other stuff to do. But I'm going to give you a few. Matthew 16. Jesus says this time and time again. I'm going to give you this one, then I'm going to put up the rest, and I'm going to deal with John, the passage out of John. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And here's the part. And be raised, and on the third day, be raised. He said it time and time and time again. Why did they never get it? It doesn't make sense. Look at all those. Give me the next one, Andrew. There's in Mark. says the same thing. Give me the next one. It says in Luke. All those. There were some people, I told them this morning, that's your homework for the week, to do all that reading about Easter. I have folk taking, aren't you glad for cell phones? I have folk taking pictures to, to read all that stuff this week. It says the same thing, but I want you to go to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. You know, this is one of my favorite chapters of all of Scripture. But in John chapter 10 and verse 17, here's the plan of resurrection. For this reason the Father loves me, this is verse 17, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. There's resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And some of you, if you're really smart, you're going, wait a minute. You didn't read it, but I know I've heard you say in Isaiah 53, it says that it pleased the Father to crush him. But here Jesus says he's laying it down of his own accord. That's God in Isaiah 53. But here we have Jesus saying it. And here's what I would say. Exactly. Exactly. Some of you are going, wait, but that's God the Father there and Jesus here. Exactly. And by the way, it's the Holy Spirit moving too. Exactly. And some of you are going, that makes no sense. Exactly. Except to the believer. I have no problem believing in the Trinity. Then he goes on and he says, I have the authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. He had the plan of resurrection. And it was as good as done. Now let's go for you and I. Let's talk about me and you. So, so as what is our plan? That was the plan when he was there. What is mine and your plan when heaven is silent? W what we know is this. If we go to flip over to John, you're right there. Just go to John, go to John 20. You're right there. John 20. And um and look at verse 25. This is Thomas, you know the story. He said, unless I see the hands and put my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. And go to Mark. Go back over to the Gospel of Mark. And go to chapter 16. Here's some things it says about them. Starting at verse 8, not, not just verse 14. 
For they were afraid, it says in verse 8. Go, go on down a little bit to verse 11. They would not believe. And then he says, and afterward he appeared to the eleven themselves, they were reclining at the table. He rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. I believe the description of what they were going through those few days, those three days, would be summarizing this. There was unbelief, and there was fear, and there was a lack of faith. I would propose to you that we face the same things when we don't have a word from heaven. Some of you right here, sitting there, you haven't gotten a word lately. You had gotten the Word and you started down this path and now heaven is silent. I want to first make this statement that I've heard before and I think it's so true. When you're taking a test, the teacher is silent. A faith that has not been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. So in those moments... How will you respond when you do not hear from heaven? I wrote this down. There was a military I th a lieutenant or something that got captured in Vietnam. And he kept his head about him and he kept his guys. So many people that were in POW camps kept on just committing suicide on their own. But this guy, he kept a band and he kept them believing. And they asked when he got freed, what happened? And he said these famous words, well, you're never to forget in the dark what you learned in the light. Can I make that statement to you that are hurting today? Never forget in the dark what you learned in the light about Jesus. He's still the same loving and kind God. If you can trust Him with your eternity, dear ones, I promise you can trust Him with your daily and then another, I'm giving you a bunch of little sayings here that I think are just dead on. When you cannot see His hand moving, trust His heart. I mean, He loved you so much that while you were still yet sinners, He died for you. Are you kidding me that if He took care of you when you were a sinner, how much more will He take care of you when you're His child? But how do I do that? Preacher, I just need you to tell me how in the world when I don't feel the love of Jesus, when I don't hear the Word of Jesus, when I don't feel the touch and the guiding of Jesus, preacher, what do I do? I'm glad you asked. Go to 1 John. I'm going to tell you how to overcome all that. I'm going to give you three different passages and then I'm going to sit down and we're going to have communion and then we're going to go home. In 1 John chapter 5, and look at verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Number one, you're an overcomer if you have faith in Him. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Your faith. Here's a little acrostic. Forsaking all, I trust Him. I can't trust myself to get it done. I'm going to trust the one who defeated death, hell, and the grave. I'm going to trust the one who said he would never leave me nor forsake me. I'm going to trust the one that when I was a sinner, he died for me. When I am in a valley, I'm going to trust the one who went all the way for me. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. 
We all know Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. But what about verse 6? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So many of you have been so kind to me since yesterday, and I know you've loved on Jeff with Miss Susan, and, and people have asked, Preacher, I, I, I know that had to be hard. Yes, it was, but no, it wasn't. When you have such a firm believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and they live their life that way, it is so easy to stand here and say this, she's not lost. She's not even dead. She just ran her race, she crossed the finish line, and now she's in heaven at the foot of Jesus. Probably should have said feet of Jesus, but that's okay. I got excited. I've talked to that family and they're going to grieve. But you don't grieve as those without any hope. Because there will be a day. There will be a day. No more tears. No more sorrow. No more separation. No more pain and no more grief. It's a city of no more. It's a city of God is king. What a place that'll be. Then I want to give you this last thing. Last verse. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And then I'm going to just... I got more I can say, but I'm going to quit. Preacher, what do I do in those moments? I understand you said I got to have faith. I understand you, you say that, but what do I do? I believe you go to Ephesians chapter 6 and you begin to put on the armor of God and there's one piece in particular. Because see, when you're down in the valley, that's when the enemy's going to come. And he's going to sling dart after dart after dart after dart. So you put on that helmet of salvation. You put on the belt of truth. You, you put on the gospel of peace on your feet. Then you take that shield of faith. You take that shield of faith that a Roman soldier, when they were getting ready to go into battle, when they knew they would be slinging these fiery darts, they would take and they would soak those shields in water so that when the fiery darts hit them, they would go out. You take that shield of faith in your life, and you stand there in the power and the strength. See, it's not your strength, but it's the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you take that shield of faith, and that shield of faith will quench all the fiery darts of doubt, of fear, of anxiety, of pain. And He'll walk with you through it, and He'll say the entire time, I have you. And then... You take the Word. Not your Word. God's Word. Which is the sword. And you begin to quote Scripture back to yourself. You begin to quote, quote Scripture to the enemy. And you stand in the light of the truth. See, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to get you in the darkness of doubt. Jesus says, stand in the light of the truth. 
That's where we must live. When heaven is silent, God is still there. Thanks for listening to the Marian message presented by the Mosaic of Marian podcast. If you would like to know more, you can reach us on our Facebook page or on our website, www.marianbcva.com.